The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. Andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all in your little square today. Good morning, Scott. Hi, Scott. Hi, Don. How's Hello, everybody? Wendy. POMO. Fear POMO. of missing out? POMO, yeah. On? I, you know what? Fear of missing out on all of these fantastic uh, growth stocks that everybody's been making money on. So we've <laughs> Nobody got loses GameStop, on those. GameStop, uh, AMC, which was the theater uh, business, uh, entertainment business, uh, Bitcoin, uh, even cannabis stocks still are back in the news. And it's, I didn't know, you know, it's funny, um, my my kids are more into this, these acronyms than I am, and I didn't know what, what BOGO was, buy one, get one, free, right? <laughs> and so now FOMO is, is part of my vocabulary now, the fear of missing out. And uh, so it really is fascinating how, you know, we're, we start to get uh, inquiries from clients, we get questions. If, you, if you're doing any kind of Zoom social gathering or even those connections, you know, with somebody, people are talking about it, right? They're talking about who's made money. And what's interesting is that it, it's sort of, I think it sort of started with this real social media following. So like Reddit, um, the social media sort of buzz, a buzz with all of these different stocks and, and people making money. And then sort of the mainstream media picked it up, so it became sort of now a news story, and everybody was starting to talk about it. And uh, and then, of course, we think in the last 12 months, there's been a lot of changes in terms of like online trading, for example. You can now um, get access to what they call like no-commission trading platforms. And in the U.S., it, there's a, an organization called Robinhood, which allows you to, uh, to do no-commission trades. Not available here in Canada. There is uh, Wealth Simple Trade here in Canada, which lets you do uh, uh, commission-free trades. Um, you know, people have been bored, so they've been. You know, what 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 else are they doing, right? So this is also part of it. Reading social media, uh, getting up on some of these things. Uh, we had serve so money coming in where people they weren't working, they had uh, money still coming in, and this particularly for young people. And of course, that that fed into the social media part of it as well, and Reddit where they're hearing about all the successes that people are having and how to do this and just increased access to market information. So people are able to, you know, research information, find out more about how to do this, et cetera. And so from, you know, from our perspective, from my perspective and Don's perspective, you know, we can't, we can't stop people from doing this. And, and usually by the time they ask us about it, they, they sort of already made their mind up and they're already in that FOMO, that FOMO set of mindset, right? They don't. They feel like they're missing out. Uh, you know, how do I do this? You know, what's the best option to, to go about it? And you know, and it's not like we're going to say no because the worst thing would be what if the damn thing doubles or something and we told them <laughs> not to do it, right? So, so the, I think that the challenge is is that we we sort of circle back and we just trying to ask questions about this. I know you're feeling this FOMO effect, but um, you know, some of the questions that, that I ask people would be. 
you know, where did you learn about this? Let's find out what your sources were in terms of the information you've got. Um, why is it a good idea? Uh, next question is, you know, what has to happen for this trade to work out for you? What are you, what are you thinking? Do you have a target? Do you have a goal? And what are you trying to achieve with this? You know, is this, is this sort of your retirement money that you're trying to create or is this something that's more just like an educational thing and you're not really, you know, trying to, uh, to change your financial life by doing these transactions? But, um, you know, you think about the, this sort of phenomenon of do-it-yourself, uh, the DIY online trading accounts, and, and they've really surged. It's remarkable. So, Scott, in 2019 there were approximately 846,000 new accounts set up on these online trade platforms. Hmm. That's in 2019. In 2020, 2.3 million. There was a 300% increase in the number of online accounts for the the DIY phenomena. Was there a pandemic or something in 2020? What caused that? (laughs) You know, it'll be fascinating to watch what the performance is so many years down the road. Well, exactly. And so that's sort of the next the next step in this process as we're talking to people about it is just to remind people about past bubbles that have happened. And they, they become such a distant memory. But you, know, you think about the dot-com bubble. And of course, here in Canada, we had Nortel, uh, which was a big organization that collapsed. And, and the other one, which was a little more uh, newsworthy, was Briex, the, uh, the gold company that uh, turned out to be a complete sham, of course, at the end of the day. And... Um, so I think the other questions, when you start to thinking thinking about this process of getting in on this trading thing, what's the amount that you that you'd be comfortable losing if it went to zero? And so getting people thinking about, you know, geez, well, how much, you know, of course nobody thinks it's going to go down. This is all going to work out. But what would be the amount that you could lose? Is it going to have any impact on your long term goals, or is it going to have any impact on some of your short or medium term goals? Like, is this money? For some people, this is money that may have been set aside towards a car fund. Maybe it's towards a renovation or something that they're trying to do. Maybe it's a, well, I'll call it vacation fund, even though we know <laughs> that's sort of been put on the sidelines. But basically, a lot of times this is money that's been set aside for something. Uh, but it also what's happened, of course, is that people haven't spent as much money. So their, their reserves are sort of built up a little bit. So there is this sense that they can afford to lose it, I think. And that's part of why we're seeing this phenomenon is happening as well. Is this the next question? Yeah. Is this, let me ask a question. And, and because again, this start, this started with your initial discussion and what we've seen with uh, game stock or, or what have you, is this bad for the markets? Because it's not based on the performance of the company or how well it's doing. It's based on, I don't want to say trickery, but certainly on false appeal through social media. So is that detrimental to the stock market because it's not really an accurate gauge of of the performance of the company? Yeah, you know, my, my fear in this is that particularly for people that are perhaps just getting involved or have maybe never done a lot of trading or stock buying on their own, it becomes the story that hangs with them for the long term. Oh, you know, I invested in stocks once and I lost all my money. Mm-hmm. And they never and they never want to get back into it thinking that that's the only outcome or that it's so uncertain or it's rigged. And so that's my fear is that we're setting up a legacy of people that are going to have had potentially a bad experience and then they're going to be afraid to actually invest with a plan with an asset allocation model 
and with achieve, trying to achieve their long-term financial goals, and they'll, be, they'll limit their results because of it. And it really comes down to knowing the difference from speculating and investing. Yes, yeah, exactly. And obviously, this is speculating. When you're simply betting on a stock that's not worth very much and, and you just want to get in because everybody else is making money and you just want to see it double like everybody else's money and you hope to get out and double your money, that is not investing. That's speculating. And, you know, you used an interesting term there, Don, uh, by saying betting. It really is like sitting at a table and oh, placing totally a bet. it totally is. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you guys are right in line with what I was going to suggest, uh, talk about as well. One of the questions, you know, ask yourself is, I'm going to come back to that, but what's your sell strategy in this? And in other words, are you going to have some kind of protection built in in terms of, uh, uh, of protecting the money in case it drops? So if, you, if you're putting X amount of dollars in, if it drops by 10% or 20%, what's the point where you're going to get out? Yes, you're going to take a loss, but you should protect the rest of it in terms of going down further. And then what account, what money are you going to use this? Is this money that you're using in your RRSP? Is this money that's part of your TFSA? Uh, both of those, if you have a loss, you, there's no tax benefit to that. But on the other hand, you're not paying tax on the gain in the TFSA, but there's certain risks associated with that. Maybe it's a non-registered fund as well. And I think about it, you know, when you think about that labeling as a risky investment, and it should be, it should really be labeled as an expenditure. And what I mean by that is that, you know, everybody, if you go to Vegas, you sort of have a gambling budget of money that you're willing to lose as part of the entertainment. And it's just an expenditure. It's just part of the, it's just part of your holiday. But you have no expectation of bringing any money home from Vegas. Well, I shouldn't say that. We all think we're <laughs> going to be, we all think we've got it figured out. But for the majority of us, nobody comes home with money from Vegas, but we're willing to commit some as an expenditure. And I think that's part of maybe thinking well, how to think about this. Um, and the same thing goes, you know, if you're buying something impulsively, that's usually the worst time or that's the worst type of investment strategy. So you have to think about what kind of limit you should have on this. Is there a dollar amount or a percentage? Um, some people will say, you know, you shouldn't have speculative investments of this type uh, more than 10% of your portfolio. I think that's high. Mm-hmm. You know, that could, be, that could be a significant amount and that could have a significant long-term effect on your, on your plans. Um, 5% for me is something that I think that's a maximum threshold at the most. Uh, but pick a dollar amount, whether it's a percentage or something, and stick to that. Uh, and then what's your time horizon? You know, is this, for most people, they're just trying to get in and get out of this. But uh, so it's not really planning for a long time, a long term time horizon. But this, the FOMO, the whole point of FOMO, the fear of missing out, fear of missing out is all about emotion, right? And you never want to make investment decisions when emotions are involved. And uh, so, you know, I don't want to be the guy to say not do it in case it doubles. But I just want you to, <laughs> but I just want you to have all the information. And just remember, FOMO is an emotion. It's not a plan, and it's not a good part of your decision process when it comes to investing. So, how much do you have in GameStop? we are planning your financial future i'm scott thompson andy lister and don fox are here from ig private wealth management call them now leave a message they'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com there you can listen to old archive shows as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button going to take a quick break here we're coming right back You are listening to a paid commercial program.
Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out the website, andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right. Uh, I know this is uh, a bone of contention for you, uh, Don Payday loans, are they, are they helping? Are they filling the need, or are they preying on the public who doesn't know any better? Yes, and, uh, yeah, it's always been a kind of a thorn in my side. And my wife even says, so why are you talking about payday loans? Probably none of your listeners have one, and I certainly hope none of our listeners have these. And I said, you know, it's all about education. That's what we're, we're doing here. We're trying to educate the public, and some of the kids or grandkids or friends of theirs may be in these, and uh, shockingly, they might be, because based on the numbers I'm going to talk about, there's still a fairly large percentage that, that use payday loans. And so basically what they are, a lot of people don't even know what they are, because they hear them on commercials, and, they, and they're pretty swank, like they're, they're kind of cool the way they're slick, they make it easy for people, and it, they're really what they are, short-term loans. Um, they generally go two-week pay cycle. They can go up to 62 days, though. They have high interest rates. And you simply just pay back the loan after the, the two-week period of time. So there's so many. I actually just Googled some of the ones in the Burlington-Hamilton area here. And I, there was a lot more than this. But, you know, Money Mart's been around for a long time. Pay to Pay, Cash Max, Money Direct, Payday Loan Mart. And I love this one, actually, the name of this, because this is really, I think, is what it's all about. Mayday Payday. Wow, that's seven. That's seven already, right there. Yeah, and I and honestly, there was a lot longer list, and it's like, okay, there must be. Why is there so many? There must be money in these things, and uh, likely there is because they. First of all, they are regulated by the province. They are not regulated uh, Canadian wine, or so it's not federally regulated. And you can borrow up to fifty percent of your take-home pay of your next paycheck to a maximum of $1,500, and, the, and the, I guess the smallest loan is $120. And, and basically you just say, okay, I want a $200, and you pay that plus $30 interest. Now, they used to call that a fee, but they went after these uh, payday loans, and they had a big kind of a compromise, if you will. I don't know who won because I don't think the feds won on the basis that people, they're still around. So, you know, for, so I went on their website just to see exactly, okay, what are these all about? So they, they advertised on one of them about an installment loan. Now, these are very different than payday loans. An installment loan is simply a normal loan. They're a little larger. They range from about $1,000 to $15,000. They range also over between 12 and 60 months. And their interest rates range between 30% and 47%. So these would be, you know, People that can't get loans elsewhere, say a normal institution, a credit union bank, um, even a finance company, those are, these are even higher rates than that. In fact, they're higher in credit cards. So if you had a $10,000 loan at 29.9%, your payment would be $322 a month. Or if you had it at 47%, your payment would be $434 a month. Now, some people with no credit, 
they say, okay, well, at least I get, and they do get credit because of this. They get a bit of a credit rating using an installment loan. Funny enough, payday loans do not add to your credit rating. They might hurt it, but they certainly don't add to it. And so after a five-year loan at these, normal, at these interest rates on an, on an installment loan, you would end up on a $10,000 loan, you would pay back $19,375. So basically double the cost of the loan up to, if you had a 47% loan, $26. And I thought this was really bad. Like just listening to it, this is bad enough. But it's way worse with the payday loan. These things look like low interest rates compared to payday loans. And so the installment loans are really like getting a credit card rate even higher and paying it over one to five years. Now, a payday loan, um, uh, far different. First of all, your $500, if you say you've got a payday loan for $500, you would end up paying $575 two weeks later. And that's in Ontario. The rate's different depending on province. And that's 15%. Doesn't sound bad, except it is only for two weeks. <laughs> okay? you got to look at its two-week loan. And it works out to a 391% loan. And that is the maximum Ontario will charge. They actually were higher. Um, part of the negotiation, they went from 21% over two weeks down to 18% over two weeks, and now they're all the way down to 15%. Sounds like they're doing you know, a great deal, but at the end of the day, it still works out to an annual rate of 391%. Now, the problem with these, and for most people, is one payday loan really incur gets another payday loan because you couldn't really afford that one. So you need a new payday loan to pay off the first payday loan. And they're into having this compounding effect. So I said, okay, let's say you got a $100 payday loan and you just kept getting a new loan to pay off the old loan. By the end of one year, that $100 loan would be $3,785. Okay. That's a 424% cost because of compounding. Yes, Scott. How would people pay back this money? Um, because, uh, you know, it would seem that it, it's, it's those that are most vulnerable that are using these facilities. What happens when they can't pay? I mean, they're obviously desperate to go there and get this to try to make it through, but what happens when they can't make the payment? Is someone going to come out with a bat and try and threaten to break your legs? Yeah, or is it I, just, I or is it, GameStop. or or does it, <laughs> is it just a case of you know they just go further and further in debt and get a worse it, and worse credit rating? It's a mess. It's a massive um, debt spiral, absolutely, Scott. And and eventually, um, they get to the point where it's bankruptcy. But interesting enough, the default rate on a payday loan is no worse than a credit card. It's about the same. In fact, two out of five people that go into bankruptcy have payday loans. But I would also suggest two to five also have credit card debt, or maybe, maybe even more. So you're looking at a credit card scenario with far higher rates. And just to put it in perspective, already we know 391% is obscene. But currently the prime interest rate is 2.45%. So you could go, if you had an equity line of credit, if you owned a house, you could probably get prime plus a quarter, which would be 2.7%. If you got a line of credit that you didn't own a house and it was simply based on uh, you know, your, own, your own reputation, so to speak, and your earnings, you might get prime plus three to prime plus six. So you'd be paying 
somewhere between 6% to 10%. Mortgages currently range from about 1.7 to 2.5. Car loans, they range, and I, again, I, I just Googled this this, this morning because I actually, most people are using line of credits now, so I was curious what car loans went for. They range from about 4.5% to about 19.5%, depending on your credit rating. So not great. Credit cards range from 9% to 23 so they're all kind of range from anywhere from about 25 to 23%. And then there's this outlier called payday loans, charging 391%, which is, shocks me at times. So the usage of payday loans has actually doubled from 2009 to 2014. They went from 2% of the population to 4.3% of the population, or households rather, so basically, one out of 50 Canadians used to have them in 2009. Now it's one in 22 Canadians have a payday loan. So if you know 22 people, one of them likely has a payday loan. Okay, But what actually happens, it depends on your demographics, and I'll get to that in a second. Now, the interest rate range, um, depending on province, Quebec, funny enough, has the lowest payday loan rate allowable, 35%. Newfoundland has the highest at 548%. Now, how many payday loan places are there in Quebec, if you had, a, if you had to guess? There's probably a lot fewer. <laughs> well, let's go with zero. Really? <laughs> there is no payday, physical payday loan places in Quebec because it's charging 35%. It's not worth their money. It's not worth it to them, absolutely. All right. So they're, they're sprouting everywhere, and you can see them all over you know, town here, and because we're, they're able to charge 391%. Now, yes. Scott. So let me ask this question then. If they're not available in Quebec, what are Quebecers doing? How are they filling the need that these are in Ontario? Well, that's a great question. And funny enough, they, they allow online payday loan places. So they can't control the borders there. So every province that didn't have one, they simply go online. And there's ones that go online, same rates. And they will simply add, it, add that payday loan to your bank account and give you that money. And then they'll simply take it off out of your bank account two weeks later. And if you don't do it, I guess they, you get another payday loan. So, yeah, and, and really it begs the question, how can a payday loan even charge such high rates? I know going way back in high school, we were told that loan sharking was 60%. Canada would not allow loaning higher than 60%. And so what happened in 2007, there was an amendment made specifically for payday loan lenders. And so they are allowed to, they had to adhere to these rules, rules, $1,500 or less for the loan, 62-day back payback or less. And... So they're able to get these, these type of loans. So they actually have an exemption to the loan sharking rule that's held in Canada. So, again, like I said, Quebec set it at 35%, which is well under the 60%. And, again, since they, since they set it so low, they actually called it in their Consumer Protection Act, 35% is unconsci- unconscionable. And they wouldn't allow anything higher than that. If that's unconscionable, what's 391%? <laughs> yeah. So 
they, uh, like I said, in Ontario, they have slowly lowered the rates, but still, when you're at 546%, they've lowered it to 391%. To me, it's still just a ton of money. And so what type of people are getting these loans? Is really, I, I always question that. But who are, who's getting these? Because with these rates, I've got to think, you know, is it, is it just people that don't understand? And maybe education is a lot of it. But it turns out the typical one, if you had to say, here's a stereotypical payday loan user, it would be a female, single parent that rents. That would be the absolute stereotypical one. Because renters, there's four times more likelier to use a payday loan than an owner of a house. And single parents are far four times more likelier than a two-parent household. And females, slightly more than males but not, to the, not by any large margin. So, and, and like I mentioned earlier, um, only two out of five bankruptcies had payday loans. And so the de- default rate is very similar to credit cards. So a lot of people say, well, the reason, they, um, the reason they are so high is because there's such a high default rate. They have to charge those rates. It turned out not to be the case. They have the same default rate as credit cards. You know, it's interesting as we talked about uh, the pandemic and COVID impact on the economy, on jobs. And, uh, you know, looking back at notes, we've talked about this, uh, you know, over a year ago, and how this has really turned into a, a, not a recession, but a, a she session. Mm. And But the majority of people that have impacted been impacted by job loss have been females. So you compound that with uh, the fact that the statistic that you're sharing, Don, that it's... Uh, it's it's a it's really is a, a concern and something somebody needs to do something about it. And I think the politicians are really uh, uh, waking up to this. They should be. I, I agree. This is certainly if if government is supposed to help people, and this one is taking advantage of it in my case and in, in my my way of thinking. And and Serb, it's kind of funny. You're you're talking about you know FOMO there, Andy, in the previous segment there. Well, perhaps um, GameStop and AMC and all those other ones were helped funded by the CERB. You know, everybody's getting these checks and they say, well, maybe I got this extra money. I can turn this $2,000 and turn it into $10,000. Perhaps that's what's happening. Funny enough, though, what's happening with the CERB checks is people are going to the, that qualify for CERB and they're able to go to a payday loan place. And because there's no, uh, if they're working, they can be held back by creditors off their paycheck, garnishing their wages. Mm. But on CERB, they wouldn't allow that. So they're actually able to use their CERB and get a payday loan for their next CERB check, as well as uh, employment insurance benefits. So I don't think that was what it was intended for, the CERB, okay? It wasn't to help fund the pockets of the payday loan places, but uh, um, I really, I just question these. So there, what, how do you get out of these? What, what can you do? Well, there's a few places, things I would look at recommending. And first thing, I would make sure there's no other option. I would go to your bank's. I would go to the credit unions. Credit unions are, are perhaps a little bit more flexible than banks. Um, I would go to your family. I would tell them the situation and say, okay, I need some money. Here's what I'll pay you. <laughs> you know, I'll pay you 40%. It's a deal, okay? Um, I would even go to your creditors if you owe money and say, can we work out a plan that I can pay you um, because the payday loan places are going to just, if you go that route, you'll likely go down a debt spiral and you won't be able to pay the creditors anyway. There is a new service, though, that started in Calgary called ZayZoom. And it's kind of interesting. They literally will take an advance on your paycheck, and the pay it will actually be shown on your paycheck. 
So if you've already got a week's worth of work in, they will know that they will take some money off your pay. And so on a $200, say, advance, in a credit card, at a 25% credit card, there's $1.92 in interest if you've got a two-week advance on a credit card for 200 bucks, Payday loan, $30 <laughs> for that same 200 bucks, And Zazoom would work out to about $4.75. Still not the best alternative going, but it's a lot better, oh, far, far better than using the payday loan service. So the reason I, I wanted to bring this up is just to be aware that the advertising is, is very seductive in a way. It makes it sound like, okay, you simply go there, but they don't talk about this on the air. That's 391%. And if you do know anybody using it, try to educate them. And if it's a family member, certainly see if you can help them out. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows as well. Ask a question online uh, via the listener inquiry button. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. All right, this should be interesting. Three lessons from a battle with a tax person. Yes, the tax man. And, uh, you know, this was a, a fascinating article that I came across in the uh, Globe and Mail by uh, Tim Sesnick. And it tells a story of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And uh, Mr. Smith was, now he was a high-income earner. And um, Mrs. Smith was a low-income earner. In fact, she had uh, taken 10 years off work to, uh, to raise their kids and stay at home. And uh, so they had uh, established RRSP accounts, uh, TFSA accounts, registered education savings accounts, uh, locked-in accounts, and non-registered accounts at um, one of the, they call them the robo-advisors, the, a company called Questrade. And um, so in 2013, uh, after during a period while um, Mrs. Smith was off work, uh, they decided to open up a spousal RRSP. Now, if you think about it, that made sense, right? He's in a high income and uh, she wasn't earning any income. So they knew that, um, uh, you know, the goal was that Mr. Smith would be the contributor. He's the high income earner, and he would claim the deductions of the contribution. And Mrs. Smith would eventually pay tax on the withdrawals later on. And that's how a spousal RSP works. Now, there is a three year waiting rule where you cannot have contributed to the spousal RSP for the current year or the previous two years. Otherwise, those withdrawals would be taxed back, taxed back to Mr. Smith. So, they set up the account, but it turns out that they set up the accounts backwards. And they, in fact, the owner, which of the spousal RRSP, and this is how CRA looks at it, the owner of a spousal RRSP is the uh, annuitant. 
and the annuitant, so in this case, the goal was that Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith should be the annuitant. That's the spouse who's going to be making the withdrawals. And the plan should have been set up uh, in Mrs. Smith's name and designated as a spousal plan. But instead, they opened up a spousal RRSP, and Mr. Smith was the owner and the annuitant. So what happened? Well, Mr. Mr. Smith put $20,000 a year from 2013 all the way through to 2018. For six years, contributed $20,000 to this plan, 120000 And so CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, thinks that these are contributions from Mrs. Smith because it was set up with him as the annuitant. Uh, and, but Mrs. Smith has no RRSP room, right? She hasn't been working. Therefore, all of those contributions were an over-contribution to her RRSP. So in 2019, Miss, uh, the couple gets a letter from CRA, and they've been informed that there are penalties of $100,000 that Whoa. they now owe for this mistake. So they got on this right away and they filed what we call a T3012 and A, and that is a form for each year that they made the over contribution. And what that allows them to do is make the withdrawals with no withholding tax. So initially filing those each for each tax year, the six tax year, CRA approved the forms and then they went back to Quest Trade, who now had to reverse all the six years and put it into a spousal plan. And they were helpful in doing that. But so here we are today, flash forward, and CRA hasn't fixed it and they haven't canceled the penalties. And in fact, they haven't been able to find someone at CRA that can make a decision on their file. And uh, in February last year, they submitted a request for review and all the documents that they had uh, resub- that they had redone and CRA lost the paperwork. Mm-hmm. So here we sit today. This thing is still unresolved. But one of the three lessons that uh, that came out of this and uh, and I thought this was uh, was was right to the point. First of all they have to file what's called a notice of objection, an NOO. And a notice of objection is basically creates this, takes it to another level to a person that can actually make a decision at CRA. And there's a one-year deadline in order to do this, and they hadn't done this. So they just caught the deadline one year later from February to this February this year. So number one is filing a notice of objection. Number two is using registered mail. Whenever you send this type of documentation to CRA, use registered mail. Checkmark, they did send it by registered mail. Thank goodness. Huh. Number three... They still lost it. <laughs> number three uh, is seeking professional advice because it's worth it. And as uh, the author points out, you know, this would not have happened if it had been a, a human advisor, not a robo-advisor, and uh, there's no way, because really, these robo-advisors, they're not there to try and integrate all the areas of your financial plan. And uh, so now they're battling a CRA fight for over $100,000 of penalties. And uh, I guess so much for the advertisement about uh, 
living 30% richer per retirement. Eh? There you go. Wow, you know, uh, again, and, and you, you have both made this point several times, there's certain things you want to do yourself. There's other things that, uh, you know, the, if you make a mistake, the costs are just simply too high, and there's a perfect Absolutely. example of that. Just enormous. And just the stress of having to deal with all of this because it's still hanging there, and, uh, and, and, and it's going to take a long time, I'm sure, before it finally gets completely straightened Yeah, out. the pain you have to go through just to straighten it all out. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. You can call now. They'll get back to you. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. You can call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call and check out their website at andyanddon.com. All right. Six steps to save money in 60 minutes. Yes. We better hurry up. The show's almost over. Well, I know. we got six minutes to do this in six steps in 60, 60 minutes. That's it. Say, say that three times fast. <laughs> but uh, we're doing it. If you ever notice the trucks going around the neighborhood right now, you're seeing a lot of uh, delivery trucks because everybody's been doing a lot of online shopping and even groceries for that matter. And it's hard to actually keep track of the spending because it's just a click here and a swipe there and you've just spent some more money. As opposed to, you know, the old days when you literally had a checkbook and wrote a check and you mailed it and you deducted it. It was so we, you know, it was a little bit more organized and you felt the pain a bit more. But now there's no pain. You remember when you had to open your wallet and take cash out? Oh, oh that's dinosaur <laughs> days, Andy. What's a wallet? <laughs> True. Yeah, they're getting rid of, rid of those too. But, you know, what we need to do is to save the same way as we're spending through automation. And the question is, how much can you save? So the very first thing is you need to under number one, is to understand how much you make versus how much you spend. So you grab three months of bills and your income, and you say, okay, here's what I make, here's what I spend, easy, this is how much I save. Well, it may not be quite that easy because step two realizes that you might not have, might not have any money after step one. So now you gotta, step two is to evaluate your fixed expenses. What do you have to spend money on? You know, what's, so for example, a mortgage payment or rent or a car loan or your hydro bill, these are necessities that you can't get around. And there may be some variable expenses that you can actually do something about. For example, a cell phone line, or you're seeing a lot of people losing their landlines, cable bills, uh, even, even mortgage payments for that matter. A lot of people are using, are paying off the mortgage earlier, which is not a bad thing to do. It's a forced savings. But at 1.7 or 1.8% or 2%, whatever you're paying, you might be better off to put some of that money into an RSP and save some tax at, at say, 40% and invest the money certainly a lot higher than 2%. So there is things you can do to try to find more money. And, and that's, so after the fixed expenses, you might have some negotiation room. But once you find that room, then you've got to say, okay, I've got to pay myself first. And this is really the trick. I, you know, as long as you and I, Andy, have been with IG, with IG, this has been a slogan of pay yourself first. Absolutely. You know, look at yourself as a debt. I owe Andy Lister X amount of dollars per month. I owe yourself X amount of dollars per, per, per month. Look at yourself as a bill as you would everything else. 
And if you pay do yourself, that, pay yourself at the first of the month, yep. and then the rest can be donated donated out to everybody else. Absolutely, and and I liken it kind of like a workaholic. If somebody's working every day, you can never find time to, for them to take a day off or vacation. But what they have to do, they have to book the days. They're, they're going to take off a year in advance or wait to book, book their vacations. And next thing, they end up going. But if it was simply, oh, I'll just go when I have the time, they'll never take a day off. And the same thing goes with saving money. I'll just save whatever's left over. Oh, there's never any money left over. So they never end up saving. So that's number three. Number four is determine if you can actually make more. Really, there's two ends of a spectrum to saving money. It's either you lower expenses or you increase your income. And really, it might be a good chance to say, you know what, I deserve a raise. Talk to your boss. If you're self-employed, how can you make more money? Increase your revenue. Uh, Maybe you find a higher-paying job. Maybe you just haven't looked out there and see if you're worth more than you're getting paid currently. And for some people, depending on their industry, you simply move to the exact same industry and you get paid more. Uh, Maybe get a part-time job. Uh, Uber, walking dogs, maybe selling stuff online, tutoring. There's so many ways to make a little extra cash. And it was interesting. I did have a discussion with a a client's daughter, and they were saying she was struggling. She wanted to save some money. I went through things for her, and she said, you know what? You don't have any extra money. You're barely hanging on now. You literally are doing – I can't believe how well you're doing. But I suggested, why don't you get a part-time job? And she never really thought she had the time. It was amazing. She ended up working one day a week and made all the difference in the world. Just one day a week because it was all extra, because everything else was spoken for. Um, Number five is make sure the amount is doable. You know what? If you you say, okay, I'm going to save $1,000 a month, well, is that really doable? Find out what is doable, because you really don't want to backtrack. You don't want to cancel this contract. It's like you don't want to say you buy a new car and find out, Three months later, I couldn't, I can't afford that. And you have to give the car back and pay a penalty. You don't want to do the same with savings. You want to give yourself a contract. I can afford this. If anything, you want to maybe bump it up over time. Um, This isn't like a New Year's resolution where you want to quit like the next diet or your gym membership or something else, okay? This is a contract, a lifelong saving contract. And finally, number six, when you set this up with your financial planner, you need to look at, okay, how much should be short-term, how much should be medium-term, and how much should be long-term. And that is a great way of forcing yourself to save because short-term, you may have a goal, you're going on a vacation by the end of the year or Christmas presents, etc. You want to put some money, and that would be in something like a money market fund or a cash account, something that's guaranteed. No, certainly not uh, you know, GameStop or anything else. That's not, that's not short-term. We're not talking about speculating. We're talking about money you're going to need down the road. Medium term would, could probably be like a tax-free savings account. You need something for five years, three years from now. Um, invest somewhat conservatively, but maybe not as safe as a, as a, a money market fund. And then long term would be your RSP fund or perhaps a TFSA, depending on your tax situation. And then you really divide up your savings amongst those three. If you do these six steps, it will take you 60 minutes and you'll be well on your way to financial independence. 
all in six minutes' time. Look at that. Uh, we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. You can call them now, leave a message, they'll return your call, and you can listen to old shows and ask a question on the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. Thank you, gentlemen. Another great show. Have a great week. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Don. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.